Hey yo, what's up? This is Jeffrey Frazier. This is episode two of Black Wall Street Chronicles. Welcome, my black people, here to kick some knowledge. So let's get right into it. So a lot of things going on in the news today. A lot of things going on. But instead of focusing directly on the news, I want to basically tell you the story. Now, about eight years ago, I used to work for Newcastle Hill Realty and I was a real estate agent. And during the six years working as a real estate agent, I've basically seen a lot of things. I had a total of 3,000 clients and most of them were single mothers and I wasn't able to find them an apartment. And the reason why I wasn't find them an apartment because the landlords and the people was very prejudiced. So on my studies of real estate, I basically find out that um, there's a lot of uh, housing discrimination in New York City. All over the country, as a matter. Um, While I was in my studies doing real estate, trying to get my real estate license, I found out about three illegal real estate activities. I found out about steering, redlining, and blockbustering. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in my notes to get you directly the information on these three real estate activities and what they are. Give me one second. Let's start with redlining. Redlining is designed to refuse to a loan or insurance to someone because they live in an area deemed to be a poor financial risk. Steering. Now let's look up steering. Racial steering refers to a practice in which real estate brokers got prospective home buyers towards all way for certain neighborhoods based on their race. Now, we're going to talk about blockbustering today because I believe that blockbustering is one of the most sinister activities that bankers and housing bankers and real estate brokers do comes to black people.
Blockbustering is a business process of U.S. real estate agents and building developers to convince white property owners to sell their house at low prices, which they do by promoting fear in those house owners that racial minorities will soon be moving into the neighborhood. These agents then sell those same houses at much higher prices to black families desperate to escape the older crowded ghettos. Blockbustering became possible after legislative and judicial demand dismantling of legally processed racially segregated real estate practices after World War II. By the 1980s, it largely disappeared as a business practice after changes in law and real estate market. From 1900 to 1970, around 6 million African Americans from the rural southern United States moved to industrial and urban cities in the northern and western United States during the Great Migration effort in the void to the Jim Crow laws. Violence, bigotry, and limited opportunities in the South. Resettlement to these cities peaked during World War I and World War II. As the northern and western cities recruited tens of thousands of blacks and whites, including those from the south, to work in the war industry and shipyards. As a result of this influx of black residents, racial and class antagonisms heightened across the urban United States, in part due to the overcrowding of cities as American soldiers returned home in the aftermath of World War One and World War Two, they struggled to find adequate housing and jobs in the cities they left. White homeowners in many U.S. cities regarded blacks as a social and economic threat to their neighborhoods. If black move into their neighborhoods, home values in that neighborhood would decrease as white homeowners took great pride in their homes and often view them as life's investment. They fear that allowing one black family to move in their neighborhood would ruin their life investments. To prevent their neighborhoods from becoming racially mixed, many cities kept their neighborhoods segregated with local zoning laws. Such laws require non-white and white ethnic groups to reside in geographically defined areas of the town or city, preventing them from moving to areas inhabited by non-whites. This belief was sustained by both racism and legislation. In 1934, the National Housing Act was signed into law by President Franklin D. Roosevelt in establishing the Federal Housing Administration. The FHA was commissioned by the Home Owners Loan Corporation to look at 239 cities and create residential security maps to indicate the level of security for real estate investments in each surveyed city. These match marked neighborhoods by quality from A to D, with A being the nicest neighborhoods and D being the worst. Every neighborhood with some black population was given a D rating, and residents of those areas was refused loans. This practice called redlining gave whites an economic incentive to keep blacks out of their communities. The areas that non-whites were allowed to live was substandard. This was in part due to overcrowding which was exuberated by the great migration often several families were crowded into one unit because non-whites was confined to these small areas of the city landlords were able to exploit their residents by charging them high rents and ignoring repairs in 1917 in the case of buchanan v warley the Supreme Court of the United States voided the racial residency status that forbade blacks from living in white neighborhoods. 
The court ruled that the statuses violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution. However, whites found the loophole in this case by racially using racially restrictive convenience and deeds in the real estate business informally applied to prevent the sale of houses to black Americans in white neighborhoods. To thwart the Supreme Court's Buchanan v. Rawley, prohibition of such legal business racism state courts interpreted convenience as a contract between private persons outside the scope of the 14th Amendment. However, in the Shirley v. Kramer case in 1948, the Supreme Court ruled that the amendment's equal protection clause outlawed the state's legal enforcement of racially restrictive convenience in state courts. In this event, decades of segregation practices were annulled, which had compiled blacks to live in overcrowded and overpriced ghettos. Freed by the Supreme Court for the legal regulations, it became possible for non-whites to buy homes that had previously been reserved for white residents. Generally, blockbuster denotes the real estate and building development businesses practice yielding double profits from anti-black racism. Real estate companies use deceitful tactics to make white homeowners think that their neighborhood was being invaded by non-white residents, which in turn will encourage them to quickly sell their houses at below market prices. The companies that sold the properties to black who were desperate to escape the inner city ghettos at a higher than market prices. Due to redlining, African Americans usually did not qualify for mortgages for banks, savings, and loan associations. Instead, they resorted to land installment contracts and above market rates to buy a house. The harsh terms of these contracts often led to foreclosure, so these houses had a high turnover rate. With blockbustering, real estate companies legally profited firstly from the average, which is the difference between the discounted price paid to foreign frightened white sellers and the artificially high price paid by black buyers secondly from the commissions resulting from increased real estate sales and thirdly from their larger than market financing of the house sales to blacks the documentary resolution 67 examines the blockbusting practice in newark new jersey in the 1960s Now here's where the term blockbustering came from. The term blockbustering might have originated from Chicago, Illinois, where real estate companies and building developers use agent provocateurs. These were non-white people hired to deceive the white residents of the neighborhood into believing that the black people were moving in that neighborhood. The houses that became vacant in that way enabled accelerated immigration of economically successful racial minority residents to better the neighborhoods beyond the ghettos. The white residents were encouraged to quickly sell and immigrate to genetic, generically more racially homogeneous suburbs. Blockbustering was most prevalent on the west side and south side of Chicago, and it was also heavily priced in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn, New York City, and the West Oak Lane of the neighborhood of Northwest Philadelphia. The tactics include hiring black women to be seen pushing baby carriages in white neighborhoods, so encouraging white fear of devalued property. Hiring black new to stage street balls in front of white homes to generate feelings of unsafe atmosphere. 
selling a house to a black family in a middle-class white neighborhood to provoke white flight before the community's properties de- decline considerably. Selling white neighborhoods to black families and afterwards placing real estate agent business cards in the neighborhood's mailboxes and saturating the neighborhood areas with flyers uh, offering quick cash for houses. Developers buying houses and drilling buildings and leaving them unoccupied to make the building appear abandoned, like a ghetto or a slum. Wow, a lot of these practices are still going on today, man. I see a lot of these signs all over the city of people trying to sell houses with cash. This is interesting. Such practices can be described as psychological manipulation that usually frightens the remaining white residents into selling at a loss. Damn. You shitting on the white people too, huh? Blockbustering was very common and very profitable. For example, by 1962, when blockbustering had been practicing for some 15 years, the city of Chicago had more than 100 real estate companies that had been, on average, changing two to three blocks a week for years. Damn. Let's take a break. I'm going to go into it further. There's a lot of information to take in. I'm going to give y'all a chance to digest. We'll come back in a couple of minutes.
Yeah, welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I don't hear myself in the mic. Oh, I hear myself now. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Black Wall Street Chronicles. I am your host, Jeffrey Frazier. And we had to take a break because we got to unwrap the information that I just handed you. I said earlier that Chicago is basically where the uh, activity of blockbustering started. And is that I find that very interesting because, you know, people are saying that Chicago is one of the most segregated places in this country. And in Chicago right now, we have, you know, stories of black people killing each other like it's the murder capital of the world. Now, the thing that we have to ask, are they doing that because they're trying to uh, cause a form of black fear so the neighborhood can be gentrified? Mm, That's actually very interesting. So here's what we're going to do. Before I mean more information on the um, activity of blockbustering, I'm going to have to tell you what inspired me to do this episode. Uh, I was... uh, I was watching Netflix and David Letterman has this talk show where he feel he speaks to who he feels are very important people. Uh, He spoke to President Obama. He spoke to Paul Mooney and he spoke to Tina Fey. And uh, no, he didn't speak to Paul Mooney. I'm bugging like he should speak to Paul Mooney. But (laughs) no, he spoke to Tina Fey. Tina Fey, George Clooney, President Barack Obama, that Muslim woman that won the uh, uh, Nobel Peace Prize, and he spoke to Howard Stern. Now, I feel that Howard Stern is the most important interview because in that interview, Howard Stern basically talked about the activity of blockbustering. He comes from a small town called Roosevelt, Long Island, New York, and he was in this small town, and he said... All of a sudden, there was a black family automatically living in the neighborhood. And he called this activity a form of blockbustering because the white family didn't want anybody to know that they sold to a black person. And the minute that they saw a black person move into the neighborhood, everybody ran. And him and his family was the only individuals that actually stayed in that neighborhood and owned the house. So that right there And Howard Stern was like He was living in a liberal town You know the same white liberals That was marching with Dr. Martin Luther King If they have a black person Living in their neighborhood they'll run away They'll run for the hills It's interesting everybody should go On Netflix and look at the David Letterman The Howard Stern interview that's very interesting You know I find Blockbustering one of the most Corrupted real estate activities that these banks and these real estate brokers ever done because what you're doing is you're socially manipulating people on their fears to get them to sell their house for a low prices and then you hire then you uh, you you redline the African Americans that want to move into that nice neighborhood and then you jack up the damn prices. That's absolutely ridiculous And I think that's still going on now I still Like I said earlier I still see signs In certain neighborhoods Trying to 
manipulate people to sell their houses for cash. I still, I still see it going on, man. Anyway, let's go into deeper about what blockbustering. In 1962, blockbustering. Give me a second. In 1962, blockbustering real estate profiteering was nationally exposed by the Saturday Evening Post with the articles "Confections of a Blockbuster," wherein the author detailed the practices emphasizing the profit gained from the frightening white people to sell at a loss in order to quickly resettle in racially segregated, better neighborhoods. In response to political pressure from the cheated. Sellers and buyers, states and cities legally registered door-to-door real estate solicitation, the posting of for sale signs, and authorized government listing agencies to investigate the blockbusting complaints of buyers and sellers, and to revoke the real estate sales licenses of blockbusters. Likewise, other states legislation allowed lawsuits against real estate companies and brokers who cheated the buyers and sellers with fraudulent representations of declining property values changing racial and ethnic neighborhood populations increase in crime and a worsening of schools because of race mixing the fair housing act of 1968 established federal causes of action against blockbustering including legal real estate broker claims that blacks expanded at all had or were going to move into a neighborhood and so devalued the properties the office of fair housing and equal opportunity was changed with the task of administering and enforcing this law in the case of Joan V Alfred H Mayor Co the US Supreme Court ruled that the 13th amendment Authorized the federal government's prohibitioning racial discrimination in private housing markets. It thereby allows Black American legal claims to rescind the unserious land contracts featuring overpriced houses and higher than market mortgage interest rates. As a discriminatory real estate business practice legal under the Civil Rights Act of 1866, thus greatly reduced. Reducing the profitability of blockbustering. Nevertheless, the same regulatory and statutory remedies against blockbustering were challenged in court. Thus, towns cannot permit an owner's placing a for sale sign before his house in order to reduce blockbustering. In the case of Limick Associates Incorporated versus Willingboro, the Supreme Court ruled that such prohibition infringed on freedoms of expression. Moreover, by the 1980s, as evidence of blockbustering practices disappeared, states and cities began rescinding statutes restricting blockbustering. The serious comic television series *All in a Family*, that featured the blockbuster, a 1971 episode about the practice, illustrating some real estate blockbustering techniques. In the 2011 historic fantasy novel *Redwood and Wildfire*, author Andrew Hurston depicts actors being hired for blockbustering in Chicago, as well as the sense of betrayal experienced by others when they realized that some black people were getting rich by participating in these exploitative schemes. Yeah, so basically, what happened is, if you're listening to this story, all those 
black people was actually paid off to participate in this fuckery. So, you know, we always have sellouts, guys. It ain't nothing new. <laughs> ain't nothing new at all. Okay. Now, it's interesting. Because I'm looking at this information. I, you can go and look in, in media and television and you actually can find some blockbustering real estate practices. They said all in a family. And let me tell you something. All in a family is a very conch is extremely hilarious and brilliant, but it's a controversial television show. You should watch it in the historical fantasy novel Redwood, a wildfire offer. Harrison depicts actors being hired for blockbustering in Chicago, as well as the sense of betrayal experienced by others when they realized that some black people were getting rich by participation in these exploitative schemes. So, you can look up the novel Redwood and Wildfire, and the author's name is Andrea Harrison, to basically look at an example of blockbustering. Now, here's how blockbustering, uh, I feel, affected my life. Um, my grandmother, may God bless her soul, her name is Maxine Frazier, and um, she actually was living in a house with, um, because of the great migration of uh, where all the black people had to move into uh, the city. My grandmother, Maxine Frazier, was actually living in a small house that was owned by the Mills family. And she had to raise, uh, I believe, five kids in a two-bedroom apartment, which is actually uh, extremely difficult. And I noticed, like, in the Northeast Bronx, one time the Northeast Bronx was just filled with white people, but all of a sudden... Because of the blockbustering and the redlining real estate practices, now the whole Northeast Bronx is uh, all the people that own the property in the Northeast Bronx is basically West Indians. This is actually very interesting. I believe that uh, gentrification is reverse blockbustering, it's like a reverse white flight. In 2008, uh, the stock market crash And the reason why the stock market crash Is because the banks Have screwed up all of these Americans Mortgages So instead of uh, giving The houses back of all the mortgages They screwed up They decide oh What we're going to do is we're going to use gentrification So we can Trick white people to actually Move back into the ghetto but before we move back into the ghetto, we have to make sure that we put a Starbucks and a Whole Foods and a, you know, a Trader Joe's, you know. We have to put all of these things back in the neighborhood to, you know, to make it uh, feasible for white people to live. But my thing is this, like, why you guys have not fixed the ghetto before? You had no interest in fixing the inner cities. Like earlier, I have already said that Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the guy that's responsible for the New Deal, and apparently by 
America's sand- standards, one of the great presidents of all time, has actually created the FHA. And the FHA, the FHA is basically responsible for going around the country and said that all of these black neighborhoods are rated D and they automatically bad because black people was living in them. So that's actually very interesting. You know, all of this uh, horrible real estate activity, this uh, housing discrimination, you wonder why there's a whole bunch of black people right now are asking for reparations. This was going on during the 60s. Like, this is at a time where it's supposed to be the civil rights movement. But uh, uh, with the interview with Howard Stern, it seems that these white liberals that was marching with Dr. Martin Luther King had no problem cooperating in these real estate activities that cause vitriol and discrimination towards black people. Like, when a black people is living in your neighborhood is bad. But when the white people move back into your neighborhood is good. That's that's the thing I don't like about gentrification. It is a scam. Because all of you white people who's moving back in the ghetto thinking you're going to get a deal in about five or ten years, they're going to raise the rent so high that you're not even going to be able to afford to live in there anyway. Okay, the homeless rate of uh, New York City and San Francisco and Chicago and Los Angeles and all these other cities, you know, I hear white people who are complaining that they're not able to afford the rent either. So I don't know. Seems like we're all being screwed. But of course, black men and black women are the ones that screwed the most in this country. What can I say? All right, we're going to take another break and we will come back. We'll talk more about blockbustering and how what we can do to prevent it.
Yo, hello, this is uh, Jeff, Black Wall Street Chronicles, uh, the last part of the show, signing off. Uh, so, what are we going to do to actually prevent blockbustering? What can we do? Well, I suggest what we should do is we should figure out a way to buy out our own neighborhoods. If we buy our own neighborhoods and we have control of our own neighborhoods, this activity will not be happening. So maybe all of the individuals who are black who get rich, maybe you shouldn't leave the community. Maybe if you're going to leave the community, you're going to have to buy some property and you're going to have to buy some housing. And you can also create community centers in the neighborhood to make sure that the people have some jobs and some careers. We're going to have to figure out a way to do it ourselves, being that we have an American government and we have a system that I actually manipulate and socially condition a whole society to have vitriol and hatred for black people and to make money off of it. So stay tuned for uh, our next episode, which will be next week. Uh, the episode will be entitled uh, Black Wall Street Chronicles, Episode 3. And we'll be talking about Finding Neverland. Thank you very much and you have a pleasant night. Goodbye. <laughs>